The Insurance Coffee House is hosted by Insurance Search. Insurance Search provides executive recruitment services to insurance companies, brokers, and insurtechs in the UK and across the United States, attracting and retaining the most successful leaders to your insurance business. To find out more, visit insurance-search.com. The Insurance Coffee House, the place where you get to meet and be inspired by the most successful insurance business leaders from across the world. Hosted by Nick Hoadley, CEO of Insurance Search. Welcome to the Insurance Coffee House. Today, I'm really happy to be joined by Laurie Pat Needleman. Laurie is the Senior Vice President of People and Talent at Pi Insurance. Pi Insurance, obviously, are a small business insurtech, Series D funding as we speak and doing an absolutely fantastic job. So it's great to have Laurie join us on the line today. Welcome to the show, Laurie. Thanks, Nick. It's good to be here. Laurie, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on. I know we've been in discussions for a little while now and we had one of the co-founders, Dax Craig, joined us a couple of seasons ago. So it's going to be really interesting to hear how the business has developed since that time. So really looking forward to hearing the story. As we are in the insurance coffee house now, I know it's first thing in the morning there in Washington, D.C. What's your go-to coffee of choice today? Well, my go-to is at home. I like to make my own. So I've got a mashup, but I would say I have a cappuccino and a latte here because it's a little bit milk heavy. And when I really do it right, I like to put a cinnamon stick and a little bit of pumpkin pie spice on the top of the froth. Very nice. Another great thing about working from home or working remotely is that you can actually choose your coffee and uh, have exactly what you want rather than relying on the local coffee shop. Laurie, really looking forward to hearing more about pie. But before we get on to that, though, would you mind giving the listeners a little bit of perspective on your career background into your career and those steps that led to you joining pie insurance around about six years ago? Yeah, Absolutely. I am sitting in Washington, D.C. today, and I got my start in my career on the search side of the house, so in the same business as you, Nick, and worked in search for a few years and then went in-house, actually to write out a non-compete agreement, and ended up liking it and deciding to stay. I was at a company now very well known because of the U.S. housing crisis, Fannie Mae, and did a couple of different things after moving into recruiting and actually like took a bit of a detour, the jungle gym climbing around and tried some different things, regulatory affairs, regulatory compliance, and then moved into blended talent and people roles. I was with a small startup in about 2013, 2014, ultimately didn't take off and make it. So, you know, you always hear about the 90% that don't make it. I'm lucky to be in the 10% right now that do. And then I moved on to a small business lender here in the D.C. area. And that is where I met John Swigert, Pi CEO. And when he was leaving that organization, ready to explore some things on his own, I said to him, call me if you ever need someone with my skill set, because we were very aligned from a values perspective and had really enjoyed working together. And he actually called in a couple of months and said, I'm going to be doing this thing with Dax in Denver. Can we get together and talk about it? And he talked me through the pie concept. And it was very attractive to me for a couple of reasons. But primarily, I come from a family of small business owners. My dad was an entrepreneur. 
he quit his job when I was in first grade. He had saved up some money and started a small business that he eventually grew to a mid-sized business. And some of his family had done the same. And I got a bit of a education about running a business over the dinner table at home as a kid. So the idea of making something much more accessible, affordable, and easier to understand for small business owners was a mission that I could rally around. But I shared with John, you know, someone of my background, I don't know that you need me at the outset. So why don't you call me in six months to a year and, you know, and then I'll jump in and help out. And he said no for two reasons. And so I think smart founder reason number one, he said, I want to surround myself with a team that I trust. You could do other things. And the second reason, and this was the hook that got me, he and Dax were committed to getting the culture and the hiring right from the outset. And they were willing to make the investment to do so. And when you're in my seat, you can't say no to that. It was just an incredible opportunity. That is how I came to Pi. I uh, worked and supported the business as a consultant for the first year. And then after a year, I said, I'm putting in enough hours, study enough. It makes sense for you to invest in a full-time hire if you're ready. And I came on board full-time. Thank you, Laurie. That's a fantastic story. And I think it sounds like from the background that you had your upbringing with your father being an entrepreneur and being around small businesses and what it's like for those small business owners with spinning lots of different plates that you could really see the value, first of all, in the product and simplifying insurance for small businesses out there, which I think is very, very important. Did it also give you some first-hand experience of what it's like being in a small company? You mentioned you've been actually at a startup previously, but sort of having to roll your sleeves up and you know being one of the first people on board in the business and growing the business from there. It's hard to imagine what it feels like on day one of walking in with two other individuals. It was John Swigert and our other first team member, Kevin Philpott. And it's hard to imagine what you you walk and you bring your own laptop. Just where do you start? And there's nothing. You're using your personal laptop. You're using your personal email. You're using your personal everything at the very outset. And then slowly you're trying to figure out When do you layer in and make investments in certain things? I'm sure the weeks and months leading up to it, John Swigert sought out mentors and he was talking to potential investors and they would advise him on this is what it's like to start something from the outset. And then he was passing that along to us as the early crew, like read this, talk to this person, seek this person out. So when you're doing it in that early stage, you really have to leverage your network and those around you who have done it before you. Then you have to trust your instincts, right? They're only advisors. It can only go so far, but it's kind of wild in that first year of having nothing and creating everything. Literally from starting on your own laptops, using your own emails. It's always a, a concept, isn't it, to start with? And then it's actually putting in those initial building blocks. Clearly in that time period over those six years, the role would have evolved a huge amount. Maybe you can talk me through that, how the role started and that progression to where you are now, obviously leading the people and talent function of the business. You need to stand up some kind of platform so that you're able to pay your staff. So Mm -hmm. just core HR functions, functionality needs to be stood up. But we spent most of the first year recruiting from our network and we made our first hire that was not through like a direct referral in the fall core hr platform making sure that people would our folks would have access to benefits and then moved into recruiting mode and 
say in those first couple of years, I probably spent 80% of my time in interviews talking to prospects and candidates. That was always one of our top three priorities. And we made it clear in order to build the business, we need to bring in great talent. And that came from John and Dax as well. And they said, you know, to all of our leaders, expect to invest a majority of your time in talking to talent, recruiting them and teaching them about the business. It's one of the best investments that you can make in growing pie. I think in those early stages, I think it's so important for startups to really leverage their network. Obviously, it's, you know, it's a great source from your perspective to be able to bring people into the business that you know and trust, but also for them as well. It can be a big a leap of faith for someone at that early stage to be joining a company in its infancy. And so for them to have the assurance they've worked with you before, if they've worked with the founders before, and they've got a good trust and understanding and a shared vision, that can be very, very helpful. Certainly a lot easier than going out cold and trying to attract people into a very early concept business. I think it'd be good for our listeners to sort of see the growth that you've achieved in that time. So maybe if you could give our listeners some high level facts and figures of where the business is now and we can look forward to the plans for growth as well. So Pi started as what you call the insurance business, a monoline insurance company, focusing on workers' compensation because that's what we knew and what we knew well. And we had the data that we thought we could use in a, a different way than the rest of the market and expertise. And we've since expanded into commercial auto. So it wasn't our intent and it's never been our plan to, to stay in one product. We want to serve small business owners more broadly. I'll speak from a headcount perspective because I'm a people person and I care about the humans in our business and their capabilities. So obviously on day one, it was just two employees and we've grown to today roughly 400 pioneers. Pioneers are what we call our employees. So we use those words um, interchangeably. And, And there have been some years of real exponential growth. 2019 was one of our biggest. We started 2019 with I think it was 35 pioneers and ended it with 135. It's still a relatively small company. 2020 was a bit slower. And then woof, 2021 was booming. Um, that was like a year of a lot of change. It must be a very proud achievement for you. And I'm sure you would have had some hand in all of those hires from a people perspective and to see those people being successful now and seeing the company develop into the business it is now must be something that you, you can look back on. I know startups and high growth technology business, you're always looking forward on the next thing, but there must be some satisfaction there. Because of John and Dax's dedication to getting the culture right and investing so much in talent, the three of us interviewed every candidate that we hired through, I think, about a higher 150, which shows, I think, our dedication to, you know, we wanted to make sure that individuals we were bringing into the business understood the business, what it would be like to join an earlier stage startup. It's not for everyone. And we wanted to make sure that we felt like they could handle the type of work they would need to do and the resourcefulness required to, you know, to thrive in that environment. And that investment paid off significantly. We had a lot of success 
tremendous growth and we're able to build a successful business and an award-winning culture, which has been incredible and just personally rewarding because you love the people you get to work with and you enjoy the environment you get to operate in. And I'm not going to say we get 100% of everything right. We get a lot of things right. And when we don't, we're willing to fix it, repair it, and keep going. I talked to some of my colleagues in the people space And I have empathy for those that don't have that level of commitment from founders and CEOs. It's so important. And I think it was one of the motivations actually for this podcast series was the fact that we interview a lot of founders, a lot of CEOs of high growth businesses. And as part of that conversation, there'll be a throwaway comment about, yeah, we're going to go from 35 to 135 people next year or we're going to double our headcount and then we move very quickly onto the next topic. But what we really wanted to do in this series is then to speak to someone like yourself who's saying, right, actually, how do we go about doing that? How do we make sure that we hire top quality people? How do we make sure we move at pace? How do we make sure we build a really strong culture at the same time so we're not just losing people out the back end? How do we make sure that the first three people in the organization are interviewing those first 150 candidates to make sure that we get those first 150 hires spot on. This is something that a lot of not only HR and people leaders find really interesting, but I think a lot of founders out there who they hear the high level numbers, but it's actually about you know how do you go about implementing that and executing on that and building a company. With that in mind, Laurie, I know there's particular areas of passion and areas that are working well there for Pi Insurance. Would you mind sort of sharing with our listeners what that is and and what you'd like to discuss a little bit further? For us, an early shift to becoming a remote first company was a major differentiator in our ability to attract and retain talent for the last several years. And if you don't mind, I'll talk you through the story of how we got there. When John and Dax were founding the business and talking to potential investors, they would get a little pushback about having two leaders in two different locations. So Dax is in Denver, Colorado, and John is in the Washington, D.C. area. And the plan was to actually have an office in each location. And some of the feedback we would get is, oh, you're going to have you know two microcultures, and how are you going to make that work in an early stage startup? And so we made a commitment early in the business to leverage technology and some live collaboration to bridge that gap, bridge those miles. And so we did this. We leveraged Zoom from an early stage in the business and we use a chat platform today. We're actually not big emailers. We use email for talking with anyone outside the organization. So if you're communicating inside the organization, it's in the chat platform. And we did that from a very early stage. And that served us really well when we got to the pandemic and having to go to work from home. I was actually on parental leave at that time. I welcomed my second child, a son, on February 24th of 2020 and uh, was coming home from the hospital and hunkered down at home watching the news, wondering what the heck was going on. And John reached out and said, you know, we're going to have to make everyone work from home. I, you know, this just, just doesn't feel safe. And I'm like, it sounds like that's course of action. So Pi shifted to moving everyone to home. And the adjustment, of course, was hard. 
because everyone was at home and afraid and uncertain. But the adjustment wasn't difficult for Pi from a working perspective as it was for some other companies because we already had the tools in place and we knew how to use those tools. So being able to do Zoom meetings, being able to leverage a chat platform meant that our productivity didn't take a major hit. Maybe our well-being and our mental health was, but that was universal to everyone everywhere. We were worried about the pandemic. When I came back from parental leave over the summer, John Dax and I had lots of conversations about how are we doing this and are we doing it well and what are the benefits of us being remote? And you know, we opened the offices back up and allowed some people to come in on a voluntary basis if they wanted to. And flexibility was really important. We had always offered our team members, I'll say it's more than flexibility, it's agency. It's giving them the power to make choices about what works best. I mean, that includes me, right? That would include you, Nick. And so in the beginning of 2021, we made the decision to shift the company to being remote first because we felt that it would empower our employees to make great choices. We had seen increased productivity that we thought we could maintain. We felt that we could bridge the gap on collaboration through other means, this Zoom, as well as getting people together periodically in person, and the ability to recruit across the country and attract talent regardless of location was really important to us because we felt that getting the absolute best talent from the insurance industry and the tech industry would be key in helping us be successful. So it was a big turning point for the business. And, and we were you know, then able to look nationwide. It also meant we had to invest a bit more in our people function because we needed to support employees across all of these different states. And you know, in the US, you have different laws and regulations in various states. And so you need to be able to support that. So there's some complexity there that we needed to prepare for. And we've made some changes to our tech stack. And we made some investment in our people function to be able to do that uh, successfully. I think it's been incredible for the business. And I think our team members really appreciate the trust and empowerment that, that we give to them. It's interesting, your comments there around you know, hiring the best people in from the insurance industry and the technology industry as you grow. I think certainly what we found as an organization was that pre-pandemic, it was quite difficult to, especially on the insurance side, to bring an insurance executive out of a big corporate company, maybe where they're five days a week in the office in and around Wall Street, somewhere like that, and then asking them to go and work from home or work in a garage at a startup. It was quite a challenge. Certainly what we found post-pandemic was actually because those same executives had had then a year or six months to 12 months working from home almost working in a bit more of a startup environment that actually coming out of the pandemic. And I think that's why we saw the great resignation is that people then can see those opportunities with companies like Pi and with businesses like that, where it didn't seem to be quite such a huge jump in terms of working conditions and working styles, working practices. It's definitely a dichotomy that a lot of companies face is on the one hand, being purely remote, that gives you the access to pretty much all of the talent across the US. But it can also then have a challenge on the other end of building a culture. How have you found sort of simultaneously hiring the best people, but then also 
building a culture around that or when having so many people based remotely? I would say there are a couple things to this I'll touch on too. You have to have a fantastic onboarding program. How you set people up for success, set up your new team members for success in day one, day two, those first six months is everything. Some of my peers that I talked to were surprised at the investment that we've been willing to make in our learning and org development team for the size of business that we are. But it's been so important for us to have that function. So as an example, something that we do, we have a program called Pipe House. And this actually existed pre-pandemic, but it served us really well in our remote environment where we pair every new pioneer with an existing team member on their first day. And they just have someone who is not in their onboarding class and not in their team, but somewhere else in the organization that can share information with them about how the company works, where you go for things. And it's just a friendly face, right? Somebody else that you know. So that's been something that gives our our new team members like a point of connection. The other thing that we still believe is important is some live collaboration, right? So we don't believe that it should be 100% remote all the time. And we offer teams opportunities to come together. So a lot of our teams will do like a team summit each year, or we'll have leadership summits where folks will come together. And then in our two offices, we have monthly collaboration days where the office, the offices are always open for anyone to come in, but on collaboration days, we'll do some other things in the office that make it a little bit more fun to be there. And that encourages folks to come in and work together and get to meet colleagues that maybe they haven't met before. I know some folks on my team have planned trips to collaboration days because they know, oh, you know, Maybe a recruiter knows that a couple of their hiring managers are going to be in the office or a candidate that they hired recently, or that the business development team is going to have a summit that coincides with a collaboration day. So we'll make it a point to go out so that they could meet multiple people and spend some time getting to know them, which has been a really rewarding experience. The interesting thing is that when you're a remote first company and then you offer those opportunities, people appreciate the collaboration time so much more. They're excited to be there. They walk away with like a feeling very refreshed and energized and appreciative of the time, but appreciative of their colleagues. So it's interesting that if you do this periodically, that you can get that lift in the business. It sounds like it's just been a wonderful success and you've managed to implement that really well. And obviously the growth that you've had across the business in this time. Looking forward and ahead now, what are the plans on the horizon for Pi? What are the great plans then? So I would say we're in a place where we've stood up a lot of our core people and talent programs. There are some things we haven't done yet. I'm interested in exploring, but we're iterating. I think we'll see some growth in headcount from this year into next year. And uh, we're definitely keeping our talent team busy right now. I'd like to see us focus even more in the DEI and beef space. This was something that was a really passionate focus for us, I would say, in our early years. And I think we have an opportunity to bring even more representation from underrepresented groups into the insure tech and the insurance space. And that remote aspect really gives us that capability. 
So I think that's something that we want to dig into in the next few years, make some better strides. But it sounds like you're well on track with all of those initiatives. Move on to the espresso round now, Laurie, where the questions are short, sharp and to the point. So I know you've got your coffee mix there ready. I'm ready for it. The espresso round. Laurie, four prospective candidates for executives coming in to interview there at Pi Insurance. What would be your one recommendation to them? Interviewing is a two-way street. We expect a candidate to show up with questions. And one of the things that blows us away is occasionally a senior executive will interview with the CEO and not have a lot of questions to ask. And we're like, you've got this golden moment. So take advantage, ask a lot of questions, show your curiosity. That's something we're looking for in a senior leader. And then looking across to peers in the industry, other HR executives across the insurance, insure tech sector, what would your one piece of advice be to those looking to hire high quality talent? I think you have to have a very thorough and tight talent process and you have to execute it fairly similarly across the business. You can adapt it for for various parts. At Pi, we do competency-based interviewing. We prep all of our interview panels before we interview, and then we debrief together as a group. And that ensures that everyone is on the same page going into and leaving the process. And that's really important to us. It is two words that you said that thorough and tight, I think is so important. I think a lot of businesses out there where it's, it's the opposite, it's not thorough. And it's not tight and it ends up being interview after interview after interview covering the same ground or not really getting to the points. So I think that's really key. And a process like that can really help bring in the best quality talent. You have to train your leaders on how to interview and then you have to trust that they can assess good talent. And so you don't want to have, you know, 10 person panels as an example. And I, I do hear of that sometimes at other organizations and we had a few bumps in the road. So being efficient. Four to six people, depending on the level of role. You mentioned earlier that you started out on the search side of the business, uh, working for a search partner. What's the most important thing that you look for there when working with an external third-party search company or recruitment business? We look for some sense of fit. Do they understand our business? Do they understand our culture? But I would say the biggest thing that we found to be is understanding their process and making sure it aligns with our expectations because the process gets you the results. And we like to calibrate early and often to make sure that we're on the same page with our search partners and aligned with the profile and what would be the right fit. And I've had some search partners say, give us your requirements and you'll get a slate of candidates in six weeks. And that just makes us nervous because that's an entire six weeks that we don't see a lot of what's going on. So that willingness to run the process in the way that we run our internal searches, which is calibrating early and often, is critical. We've actually adopted some of what we had all experienced previously with some of the better search firms out there of saying we're going to do calibration candidates on our searches when it's a new role that we haven't run before. And so we'll calibrate on a couple of profiles to make sure, like, based on these requirements, the recruiter says, this is what I'm seeing. Does this line up with what you want? That partnership is so important for both sides. I think it's really up to that search partner as well to feedback what they're seeing in the market and seeing what the perception is of that particular business. Um, so you can recalibrate even on that, as opposed to, yeah, coming back in six weeks and you know, you're six weeks into it and you're looking to start again at that stage just a, a little bit late at that point. 
Laurie, final question of the espresso round. What's the one lesson your job has taught you that you think everybody at some point in their life should learn? I don't have all the answers. I have points of view and perspectives. I should hold them loosely. And I try to take in other perspectives around me that will refine my views on things. I've only been as good as the power of my network at times in my career. I am so appreciative for the advisors and mentors who have helped me get to where I am today. And I still have advisors and mentors that I'm continuously reaching out to saying, what are you doing to solve this problem? And have you done this before? That's never going to stop. If you're listening to this in your early in your career, don't ever give up on your network and cultivating it. That's where the real growth comes from. Get a mentor when you can. If there's somebody out there who's prepared to offer you some time and some guidance, and even just checking in on how you're doing in your career, you know, whether you're an employee of a business or whether you're a business owner yourself, it's so important that mentorship can really help grow. Laurie, we've almost finished our time together today. Before we go, though, do you have one piece of closing advice for our listeners? And if there are particularly insurance people out there listening now who are interested in opportunities at Pine, how would they go about exploring those further? For folks that are interested in opportunities, we do have a good number of positions open right now. So check us out, www.pieinsurance.com backslash careers. You can find some information about the company, a lot about our culture, and you can see all of our available positions. Even if you see something that's not a perfect fit, I still encourage you to apply because we look at candidates that have applied to us um, that haven't been a fit for the opening where their application is. And uh, advice for the listeners and someone that is looking to come into Pi, we look for at Pi, and this is something that's helped me be successful in my career, integrative thinkers. And it's not looking at a problem as I've got path A or B as, as a solution, but considering what are all of the perspectives and what are all of the needs and how do I solve for that? that greater need set. And so I would say that's if you're looking to come to work at Pi and you're looking for growth in your career, applying that mindset to problems that you're facing, it's brought me a lot of success and I think it can bring other success as well. Laurie, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a real pleasure to have you join us in the coffee house. I'd love to bring you back on the show in the next couple of years to see how that growth has continued but it's a great story you know the pie insurance you know one of the real leading insure techs out there being super successful and it's been great to hear your story from one of the very first pioneers from the business so thank you for joining us today thanks so much Nick. it was great being here thank you for listening to the insurance coffee house with nick hoadley Join us next time for another episode packed with insights and advice for senior leaders, C-suite executives, and ambitious insurance professionals. Stream all episodes at insurance-search.com.